Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every $20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at Armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. Single Tracks is psyched that Jameis Spikes has come on as a supporter of the podcast and is also a supporter of the website. Jameis has been designing and building quality bikes since 1979, and they were among the first to produce mountain bikes beginning in 1982. The brand has brought the world some iconic and award-winning mountain bikes over the past 40 or so years, and the Dragon has been the soul of the brand for decades. Introduced in 1993, the Jameis Dragon Hardtail delivers the feel that only comes with high-quality steel, and it's done so for nearly 30 years running. The newer Jameis Portal and Hardline full-suspension bikes feature the innovative and race-proven 3VO suspension platform, built into both carbon and aluminum frame options. You can check out this year's all-new Dragon and 3VO bikes, along with the entire lineup of Jameis high-performance mountain bikes at JameisBikes.com. That's JameisBikes.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Single Tracks Podcast. My name is Jeff, and today we're wrapping up our mid-travel trail bike mashup with our bike testers, Chris, Giroux, and Matt. I'm really stoked to have everyone here. Thanks for joining me. So, Jero, as the Singletracks tech editor, this whole thing is really your baby. Tell us a bit about the criteria for the bikes that were included and how all the testing was set up. Sure. So, um, testing was split between Colorado and myself in Italy. Um, and the criteria for the bikes was 120 to 141 millimeter rear travel and the the 141 was to include the mm -hmm. private gear. We kind of wanted to have a mix of suspension platforms in there and um, kind of different detention intentions mm -hmm. between the bikes. Um, and then as well, it was like, I think I requested two times the bikes we received. So it's also a test of the bikes that were available. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. Yeah. It was really hard getting test bikes. And, um, yeah, that was why I got left out because there weren't any extra large <laughs> test bikes anywhere from anybody. And yeah, it felt like we reached out to a lot of brands and with these roundups, a lot of times too, people are like, Hey, how come you didn't test, you know, such and such bike. And, you know, I guess we'll just say we tried to, we tried to get all the bikes, especially from the big manufacturers. But as we all know, supplies are tight right now. Um, one question I had too was, were hardtails considered for this at all? Yeah, I requested a few hardtails. Um, there was nothing available at the, mm -hmm. at the time we requested. So early summer, and I also requested several 120 millimeter bikes and there just really mm -hmm. wasn't anything. So yeah, we did end up with a really good crop of test bikes. I think, um, like you said, really diverse in terms of their intention, you know, trail bike is a really wide category and, you know, you've got everything from like bikes on the cross country side up to the enduro side. And sometimes we say, you know, it's an aggressive trail bike or, um, you know, it's like a really low, uh, travel 
trail bike. And so, yeah, we tried to hit kind of that whole range with the bikes that we had. Um, but before we talk about the bikes, I want to introduce our bike testers. So Chris is a regular single tracks contributor living in Colorado. And Chris, I want to ask you, what types of trails do you usually like to ride? Well, as you'll see in some of those YouTube videos, <laughs> rocky technical trails are yeah. my jam, so to speak. <laughs> and that's a lot to do with just what we have around here. Mm -hmm. And then they always involve some excruciating climb that I complain about when I'm going up and <laughs> pat myself on the back for when I'm coming down. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Do you ride much uh, like park stuff? If you don't like climbing, do you, do you go to the ski resorts in the summer? Yes. For the past two years, I've had the mountain bikes parks pass, mountain bike parks pass. Um, which gets you access to most of the mountain bike parts in the West and then some mm -hmm. in the East as well. This year I was traveling too much to have one of those. So I actually haven't had many downhill days, but I do enjoy the downhill just as much as the climb. Um, normally I just, I really like to earn it, so mm -hmm. to speak, yeah. um, an old school kind of theory. So yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, you also did a lot of traveling uh, with bikes this summer. Did you get to take any of the test bikes out with you or, or did you do all the testing in Colorado? I did. I actually took the Canfield Tilt to Copper Harbor, Michigan for a week. And it was, aside from being very wide bars on that particular build, mm -hmm. it was great. I loved it. So um, yeah, I got to travel with one. Most of the riding was here in Colorado. Okay, cool. And yeah, you mentioned the Canfield Tilt, and then you tested two other bikes, right? Yes, I did the Ibis Ripley and the Norco Optic. Awesome, yeah. And what was really cool is this is one of the first times that we've been able to have multiple testers on the same bike. So you and Matt, I believe, tested all three of those. Um, and yeah, it was kind of tough this year because this was like kind of a virtual test thing, but fortunately, you and Matt are close by. And so, yeah, that was really cool to see. Yep. It was fun. <laughs> so speaking of Matt, Matt is our features editor and obviously a longtime single tracks product reviewer. Matt, which bikes did you test and where did you ride them this summer? So the same three that Chris tested, which would be mm -hmm. the Norco optic, the Ibis Ripley AF and the Canfield tilt. And then um, the Pivot Trail 429 and the Privateer 141. Mm -hmm. um, so yeah, a, a pretty wide array of, of trail bikes. Yeah, yeah, you had five bikes. So yeah, you got to test the most of them. And again, it was like a supply thing mainly, I think. Um, you're the right size and you're in the US yeah. where we're able to get bikes a little easier than to Jero. Um, so where did, where did you get to ride all these bikes? Mostly around Colorado, kind of same trails, um, that Chris is on. I did take the privateer out to Wyoming and then park city, um, hmm. for a couple of days. So I think that was the most traveled bike that I had. Except oh, cool. yeah, Chris took the Canfield out to Michigan, but mm -hmm. other than that, the privateer saw the most, um, travel. So. Yeah. <laughs> cool. And then Jero, obviously you tested the bikes that you could get your hands on this year. 
Um, tell us which bikes you rode and where you got to ride them. Yeah, so <clears throat> I live in Turin, Italy, and I tested all three of the bikes here. The Specialized Stump Jumper was the S-Works build, and then the Starling Murmur. Mm. And that was the Enduro Murmur, which the difference is that it has a 160 fork instead of 140. And the Vitus Escarpe, which is a mm -hmm. 140, 150 millimeter bike. And to back up the stump jumper is the 130, 140 millimeter bike. So I tested all three of them here. And then right. the Vitus and the Starling both I took out of town, like took into the Alps and did some different, like I actually carried both of those bikes on my back a couple of times and um, did some long kind of more free ride kind of riding and some cool stuff like that. The stump jumper... I didn't take out of town. It just, it was really well suited to local trails and didn't make a whole lot of sense to um, go push harder on gnarlier trails. So the other two bikes were kind of better suited mm -hmm. for that. Yeah. Yeah. What, what made you pick the Starling Murmur Enduro versus the trail? Was that like a personal preference or was that like what was available or what was kind of the thinking yeah. on that one? That's what they had, actually. I mean, they had a an Olin's coil fork hanging around that was 160, and they put that on it. So I was like, I'll take whatever you got in my size. Yeah. And that was what they had in terms of test bikes. Makes sense. Well, I noticed, too, you mentioned that the stump jumper that you tested was the S-Works edition, and we've already gotten comments. It was either on YouTube or on the uh, review itself somebody was pointing out that specialized likes to do that with these review tests. They like to send out their like top of the line bike. Are you used to riding like that kind of build? Like, did that impress you or, or what, what do you think about testing such a expensive bike? Um, no, I would say I'm not used to riding a bike that fancy. I mean, I think that <laughs> thing is like 10 grand retail and it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Kashima coated electric shifting like yeah super super cool and fun to play with but it's not a bike i would buy so it's not the bike i would typically mm -hmm. request but again i just asked for whatever stump jumper they had in my size and they yeah. sent it to me so it was the only bike they had it wasn't necessarily i don't know that it was necessarily like them trying to push their their highest level model but it was really cool to ride a bike that light and that kind of fancy you know out of out of my price range which was a fun experience mm -hmm. yeah 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 Maybe they just couldn't buy it find a buyer for it yet <laughs> right right don't know anybody else who wants this so you can try it yeah yeah and if we have time i definitely want to hear about uh what what it's like with the wireless shifting and everything because it's not something that I've tried at least the SRAM version of it. So that's cool that you got to test that. So now I want to ask everybody about their favorite bike that they tested and why. And I think I'm going to start again with Chris. You tested three bikes. Uh, it was the Canfield Tilt, the Ibis Ripley and the Norco Optic. Which one of those was your favorite, Chris? Honestly, it was a toss up between the Ripley and the Tilt the Canfield mm. tilt. Um, and I, I will say the Ripley for one, I'm slightly biased. I own an Ibis, uh, Rip Mo. Mm -hmm. So I was very excited to try it. And, and 
just based on the fact that it's sexier looking <laughs> than the Canfield, which I know, you know, it doesn't see, it doesn't make a difference in the performance, but to me, I like a bike that looks really fast and precision mm -hmm. as well. Um, and I'd say just in general, the Ripley was super playful and very capable, despite the fact that it only had, you know, minimal suspension compared to some of the other bikes that even we tested. So, mm -hmm. um, it descended great. It was an awesome climber. It, for whatever reason, felt much lighter than the other bikes, though it, mm -hmm. it actually wasn't. Mm -hmm. Um, but close second was the Canfield descended. Awesome. I love that it comes with shorter cranks. That's like a huge thing that I always switch out on my personal bikes. And I, mm -hmm. and I can't even articulate exactly why. Um, other than <laughs> it feels more efficient to me. It feels like my knees don't hurt and I'm not hitting rocks where I shouldn't be and stuff like that. So Ripley over Canfield, but very close. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. And are both of those aluminum bikes? Is that right? Yes. Yes. Yeah, and they both came in around 32 pounds. So, um, I mean, give or take a little bit. But honestly, the Ripley just felt like a butterfly going uphill, just super light. And it didn't, I didn't feel like I lost anything going downhill either. So, I mean, I think I could ride that on most, most, not all, but most of the chunky er trails around this area anyway. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And, you know, you mentioned that maybe the Ripley has an edge because it looks better. I know that was like a point that you and Matt both made about the Canfield bike. I mean, it's like printer paper white with yeah. black lettering, like, you know, it just came right off the, the laser jet printer. Uh, I mean, what is it about that that, that you guys weren't into or, or yeah. I mean, does that matter? Does that like factor into how the bike feels or, or rides? Um, I, both of us, I think couldn't quite articulate why we didn't love the visual aspect of the tilt. Mm -hmm. I think it's because the font of the logo, honestly, <laughs> <laughs> and I'm not sure why it just says I'm, I'm an older bike and it's not, ex <laughs> it's not exciting. So when, if I were to walk into a bike shop and I saw an Ibis sitting next to a Canfield, I wouldn't even look at the Canfield because <laughs> the Ibis frames are just so sleek. Um, and it yeah. does, you know, that aluminum, it was, it was very obvious where the seams were on the Canfield. So you can mm. see the welding especially with that white color, the white mm -hmm. color itself didn't bother me a whole lot. I think it was specifically the logo for me. Yeah. I don't know about that. Yeah. It's just, a, uh, I mean the frame design and aesthetic, <clears throat> it really just stands out from the other bikes and not, you know, uh, Chris and I had our own opinions, but also it was something that a lot of other people noticed and, um, talked about when they talked about the bike. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, and I, I think part of it probably is the branding. Um, you know, the tubing is a little bit chunky, and, and with like the CBF platform, it just kind of creates like a busy looking center and rear end, maybe. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I think it's definitely like distinctive from the other bikes that we had around. And in like on that same point, you know, 
if you're spending a lot of money on a bike, like you want to be a hundred percent stoked on like the way it looks and say, mm -hmm. yes, this bike looks badass. I want to show it off to everybody. <laughs> um, and I don't think like everybody was necessarily sold on the way that the, the tilt looked, but again, like that's subjective. So some people could love it and, and you know, right. not, but yeah, it was definitely distinct from, from the other bikes we had around. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's interesting, and I'm glad you guys bring it up because, um, you know, for one, a lot of mountain bikers we like to say like, oh, I don't I don't care what it looks like, you know, just as long as it rides well. But, you know, I think for a lot of us, like that's we're not being honest with ourselves. And you know, um, yeah. I was talking to Joe from Starling on the podcast a couple of weeks ago, and he was talking about ride feel, and he was saying how like to him, part of ride feel is not just like you know, how it feels like your sensory touch, but also like how it sounds. And I think that even extends to like how the bike looks. And if it doesn't look good, if you're not stoked with how it looks like that does affect the ride feel, like whether we're, you know, whether we recognize it or not. So yeah, that's, that's a really interesting observation. So Matt, you tested those same bikes as Chris, plus a couple of other ones. So I'm interested to hear which bike was your favorite. Yeah, I have a tough time with this question too. <laughs> um, I know which two were not my favorite. Okay. Um, and it was not the Pivot Trail 429 and it was not the Norco Optic. Okay. Um, I really liked the Tilt because it was like to me that felt like the most well-rounded of uh the bunch and then mm -hmm. there's so many different like technical climbs that i cleared for the first time on that bike um mm. and yeah i think for like a really aggressive trail bike it's i don't know to me it stands out as being like a really excellent climber and like i wouldn't really necessarily praise a lot of bikes that um you know, I deem as aggressive trail bike and I'm like, oh my gosh, I can climb like crazy <laughs> on this thing. Yeah. <clears throat> but the Ridley AF was super fun too. Um, for all the points that Chris had mentioned, it was just, it was great to climb on. It was really fun going downhill and definitely way more capable than a 120 mil travel bike would normally mm -hmm. feel. And then the Privateer 141 also for I mean, that thing was like my least favorite going uphill because mm -hmm. it's heavy. Um, but I, yeah, it was probably like the fastest bike I rode all summer. Um, like I just felt huge confidence increase on it. Felt really, really stable on mm. a lot of trails that, um, you know, can usually shake your confidence on. Um, yeah. So that thing was, yeah, it was a ton of fun going downhill and an amazing value. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And yeah, I mean, I guess you're right that asking, it's not really a fair question. Like which, which bike is your favorite? Because then it's like, well, which, where am I going to ride it? Right. And it sounds like, yeah. you know, it does kind of depend on like where you're riding, what kind of ride you're going out for even, right? Like for some of us, we may have a local trail where, you know, some days we want to like ride it really hard and like, you know, try to blast up the climbs and take it easy on the descents. And then other days, like we just want to smash the descents and it could be same trail, different bike, just depending what you want to do that day. So yeah, totally. Yeah. Cool. 
All right, Jero. So which was your favorite of the three you tested? So that was the Stump Jumper, the Starling Murmur, and the Vetus Escarpe. Actually, we don't know how to say it. We, we went back and forth on that one. Uh, but yeah, which was your favorite? So I, I think rather than favorite, I would say the bike of the three that fits best with my riding style and trails was the Starling Murmur mm -hmm. Enduro for a few reasons. Okay. Um, I think actually the longer travel like wasn't necessarily the main thing. The geometry on the bike is really nice. And I think that makes probably a bigger mm -hmm. difference than the extra two centimeters of fork travel. Um, it's a super simple single pivot that still climbs really well, even with a coil shock, like surprisingly well. It's not that heavy. I don't, I actually didn't weigh mm -hmm. it. And it wouldn't matter that much if I did because all the parts on it were mine. So it's not a bike you would buy from Starling anyway. <laughs> but right the frame itself and the build i mean i had downhill casing tires and gravity wheel set and like pretty hefty components and it it really didn't feel that heavy and it climbed just fine climbed better than a lot of the huge long travel bikes that i normally ride um yeah, yeah. and then on the way back downhill like i was just i was really impressed with uh with the way the bike descended like just felt super supportive even with a coil fork i would i would put, that was their component and i would put a an air sprung fork on it like the bike just felt glued to the ground almost too much a lot of the time um hmm. but yeah i mean that's uh that can be selected when you when you buy the bike so that's not really a critique of the frame or anything um also to go back to chris's point around mm -hmm. aesthetics like i love the look of that bike it just is so cool with the squatty tight rear end. Yeah. Um, it's, I like mm -hmm. bikes where you can see how they're put together and you can see like the handwork that was put into it. And steel is an obvious one for that. Mm -hmm. Like you can really look at it and know kind of what the quality of the build is on some level, at least. Um, yeah, it's got right. good mud clearance, obviously bike from the UK should be, um, yeah, it's just kind of a, seems like a great bike made to do kind of everything. And it, it felt looking at the overall build of it, the build of the frame itself, that it's not designed to be like upgraded every two years or every year or whatever. Like it's a bike that you buy because you, you love that mm -hmm. bike and you want to keep it for mm -hmm. a while. And, you know, there's nothing super extreme about the geometry, but there's also nothing that I, that needed to be changed. Like it's just a super sweet bike. So yeah, I think that would be my top pick. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. And so, I mean, it sounds like part of your um, love for this bike, maybe not love, we'll just call it like for this bike, uh, is the fact that it's a steel bike. I mean, that was unusual, the only one in the test. And actually, you know, here in the U.S., we don't see a lot of steel full suspension bikes. Do you think that was a big factor in it? Would you like to see more? steel trail bikes um you know i think steel full suspension bikes are for a certain crowd of people who want like a particular bike that not everybody else has you mm -hmm. know like 
maybe it could be mm-hmm. said that everybody could enjoy a Santa Cruz because it's an amazing bike, but not everybody wants to show up to the trail with the same bike. So I think this, mm-hmm. you know, this is a bike for somebody who wants something a little special and something that stands out a bit. Right. Um, and it really does. It stands out in the way that it rides. It stands out in the way that it looks. Like I had a bunch of friends who were like, what is that? What is that old bike you're riding? <laughs> They're making, making fun of it because the, the teeth <laughs> on the rear end are pretty narrow. And on the front end, I mean, if you set it next to a carbon bike and you haven't looked at a lot of steel full suspension bikes, it looks a little funky, I guess. It looks like you're riding a hardtail that's chopped in mm-hmm. half. So, yeah, yeah, it was it was a head scratcher for some people, and it, yeah, I just think it's not for everybody. But if you're like me and you want a bike that not everybody else has, it's it's a really good one to check out. Yeah, 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 really cool looking bike, super unique, for sure. So now I want to ask about any surprises that you guys came up with uh, while testing bikes this summer. And Matt, since you tested the most bikes, I'm going to start with you. What, what surprises did you run into? Were there any like preconceived notions you had going into it that were kind of busted or, or what, what stood out to you? Hmm. Yeah, I would say, you know, um, Price and value, I think, were an interesting thing to look at throughout all the bikes we had on this side. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, both the, the Privateer and the Ibis Ripley AF were both four grand. Um, mm-hmm. And those are really good bikes for four grand. Um, I know when I started mountain biking, like it, <clears throat> it's like this evaluation of value over time to where the more you get into it, the more money you're willing to spend and dump into your passion and whatnot and so four grand is still like a pretty big leap i think for um a lot of people um like they're probably going to have ridden for at least like a few years before they spend that much money on a bike Mm -hmm. but with those two bikes in particular like you get um you get a lot of value out of it you get really really good parts on both of them um i'd say probably better parts on the privateer because it's direct to consumer Mm-hmm. But still, none of the none of the components really changed the ride quality that much on the Ibis Ripley, I would say. Um, and and then comparing those two with the Pivot Trail 429, which was more than twice as much. You know, on on that bike, I to clear it up a bit. I thought the Pivot Trail 429 was a great bike. It was a really mm-hmm. solid. Um, kind of all around trail bike that climbed as well as it descended. And it was like 27 pounds and just super light and fun to ride around and everything. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, for me, it wasn't, it wasn't twice the bike, like the, the fun, uh, that I had on the bike was not twice as much. Like it didn't equal the, the, <laughs> the jump in price that, <laughs> that the right. 49 had you right. know, twice the price didn't equal twice the fun. <laughs> um, so yeah. And I, you know, maybe that's a surprise. Maybe it isn't. Um, I guess with price, you kind of get a uh, uh, diminishing return after a certain point. Um, but yeah, I think that was my biggest takeaway is that, and a good takeaway, right? Like you can get a great bike that's just as much fun as a $10,000 bike mm-hmm. uh, with less than half of the price. So yeah, 
Yeah, interesting. Well, how do, how much of that do you think owes to the geometry? I mean, we're sticking with the pivot trail four two nine. Looking at the geometry compared to the others, it's got looks like it's got the steepest head tube angle of the bunch, and also the slackest uh, C tube angle. Um, so, do you think do you think that's part of it? I mean, maybe maybe the geometry is like a little bit on the less aggressive side or, or yeah. What do you, what do you think the difference is on that bike? No. Um, I, I had a few nitpicks on the geo of that bike and Chris rode it for a bit too. Um, so she kind of noticed some of the same things that I did and, and that, you know, the bit longer reach slacker, seat tube angle at least compared to the other bikes kind of created a position where it didn't feel as um forward hmm. uh, on climbs on that bike as they did on other bikes um but i don't think my geometry was like really the deal breaker with that by any okay. means and nothing's i would say is a deal breaker other than you can't get into one for like less than six grand so <laughs> <laughs> right yeah it's an expensive bike yeah. Yeah, the the Ripley AF Geo is I fairly similar. I guess it's still about a degree slacker mm -hmm. in uh C2 might be about the same, but Yeah, overall I, I think it was just like it's it's just another good bike from Pivot. Like there weren't any surprises about that. It's just oh, this makes sense that Pivot would make this bike now after they made that one the last one. It's mm -hmm. stiff, efficient, light. It's all the things that Pivot normally is, but mm -hmm. Yeah, it's not really breaking any um, barriers. Yeah, interesting. Chris, what about you? Did you run into any surprises? Is this kind of the first time you've ridden a bunch of bikes like this back to back? Or, or are you used to like trying a bunch of different bikes? No, I have not in the past tested this many bikes back to back. And I guess the first surprise is I haven't personally ridden an aluminum frame very often <laughs> um i have a steel bike and i have a, and i've had carbon bikes for the last i don't know eight eight or so years so mm -hmm. riding the aluminum was pretty fun to see how well it performed just outside of my head thinking about yeah. how they might perform and then yeah, i would going say going into it were you like kind of snobby about it like oh it's an <laughs> aluminum like i don't want to ride that yeah you know i have i have the top of the line stuff. You know, you were talking about electronic shifting. <laughs> I have electronic shifting. Oh, wow. <laughs> I, I, you know, <laughs> it's bougie. My bike is bougie. Um, <laughs> so these bikes were like a step down for you. Okay. Getting a good picture I don't want to say now. a step down. Honestly, to Matt's point, I would, I, I told him this many times when we were out riding, I would switch that Ripley right now for my Ripmo just straight up. Wow. So wow. that's how much I like that bike. And same with the Camfield. I even inquired about like how how long are these, you know, out till because I would <laughs> yeah. love to have another bike and and it's yeah. a really fun bike. So and then I guess the other thing that surprised me is absolutely no one, not one single person that I talked to that was a mountain biker has heard of a Canfield. And really? it's made here locally. Yeah. I mean, somewhat locally. So um, I thought that was a really big surprise. I mean, I would expect if you hadn't heard of a privateer yet or some of the mm -hmm. bike brands that um, Jero's been riding, because 
they probably aren't sold here a whole lot, but mm-hmm. um, I think Campfield's been around for a while, so <laughs> yeah. um, it was surprising that no one had heard of it. Yeah, that is that is surprising, interesting, because right, they've been around for a while, and yeah, I know we've written about them a good bit in the last few years. So yeah, cool. But right, another bike that you know, if you if you own it, it's a unique one and one that's going to stand out, and people are going to talk about. Uh, sort of like the Starling that Jero tested. So Jero, what what surprised you about uh, the bikes that you tested, or or just the test process in general, maybe? I think the bike that stood out to me the most was the Stump Jumper. Um, and largely because I haven't ridden a bike mm. with that little travel and that was that light for a really long time. I mean, unless you count a hardtail. Mm-hmm. Um, and actually, it's lighter than my hardtail. So it was, oh, I can't wow. remember the exact <laughs> it. Like, it was so light. Like when I, the first climb I did on it, I was like really struggling to keep the front tire on the ground because I just am not used to mm-hmm. having to think about that anymore. <laughs> like most right. bikes are riders so heavy that. <laughs> front tire on the ground is like irrelevant um yeah so yeah that it took a little bit of time to remember and and actually just learn how to ride a bike that light like every little Mm -hmm. time i tried to pop off of something it really wanted to get off the ground and that was a different experience but after a bit of time it was super fun like it's a really rad bike um and i think Mm -hmm. I would imagine that, say, I don't know, an X01 or XT build level without the electric stuff and maybe without the Kashima that's a little more affordable would be not that much heavier and probably half the price mm-hmm. or less. So I think, like, you, I would imagine you can get into that same bike at a pretty reasonable price. There's also two alloy builds that. Mm-hmm. look really nice they have a different suspension platform so they don't have the flex stays arguably they're going to be a different bike like i, I can't speak to how they're going to ride but they're certainly a lot more affordable um yeah but i mean right it was just really fun it was super fun to ride a bike that short travel and you know it's kind of a lot poppier because it reached the end of the travel and the ramp up so much faster um geometry was perfect mm-hmm. Like I just, I, I really have nothing bad to say about the bike other than maybe on gnarlier trails, it gets a little overwhelmed, but I think if that's what you like to buy, you're probably going to, what you like to ride, you're probably going to buy a stump jumper Evo or a Enduro or some other bike. So, um, I also really love all the like hidden toys on specialized bikes, (laughs) like the little snack pouch and the, the down tube and Mm -hmm. the in the steer tube that's just there when you buy the bike you don't have to like go figure that out it's pretty awesome and there's tons of room in the down tube like i put yeah all the food i needed for a whole day ride a jacket tools whatever just like cram it in there tight enough so it doesn't make any noise it's awesome i think i don't know it'd be <laughs> great if everybody started doing that it's pretty nice <laughs> yeah yeah 
Well, you know, we've, we've mentioned that you typically test like longer travel bikes, um, you know, enduro bikes, long travel 29ers. I've lost track of the number that you've done like long-term reviews on. So I'm curious to know, like by forcing yourself to ride trail bikes this summer, do you have like, I don't know, did you feel like uh, actually, you know, these trail bikes are pretty capable or are you anxious to get back to your long travel bikes uh, so you can, you can ride faster or gnarlier stuff? Um, I would say that with the Murmur, that bike is totally capable. Even, I think, even with 140 millimeter fork because the rear end wasn't getting overwhelmed. Um, mm. Yeah, I mean, you just need a little more pressure in the fork or a heavier spring to kind of deal just to, so it doesn't go through the travel as fast, but it's, that bike seemed like something that you could ride everywhere and kind of do everything with. And if you wanted, you could race enduro on it. It seemed perfectly capable for kind of everything. Um, hmm. the Escarpe, I would say definitely not. I wouldn't, I mean, sure you could race, enduro, but it's a little too like playful and poppy and just that this is not what it's made for. Like Vitus has an enduro bike, um, that's mm -hmm. perfectly capable for that at the, almost the exact same price, if not the exact same price. So yeah, they just, they didn't go that direction with this bike. I mean, for example, it has a two piston brake caliper on the rear and, um, just the mm -hmm. feel of it. It's a little lighter. It's a little shorter in the reach and the rear end. Like it's just a play bike. It's for having fun and, I don't know, maybe call it an all mountain bike, I guess, but yeah, it's kind of for doing everything. And then, uh, the, yeah. Yeah. So that one was super fun and didn't necessarily make me want to go get on longer travel bikes, but I wouldn't, if I owned it, I wouldn't take it, you know, to the park. Probably I would take a different bike, mm -hmm. longer travel bike. And the same with the S works, uh, stump jumper. I mean, I definitely wouldn't take that bike to the park, at least not the bike parks that I go to around here. Maybe something super smooth and buff and yeah. Yeah. You wouldn't want to scratch the paint on that thing. <laughs> yeah. 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 I'd be afraid I'd yes. break something on the, the S works at the bike park. Right. Yeah. Yep. So looking at these bikes, you know, there is a wide price range. It looks like the cheapest one we tested is like 3,300 for a full build. And then obviously the S works is at the top over $10,000. So I'm curious to know from each of you, which bike you think offers the best value. And obviously we're not talking about like, what was the cheapest one you tested, but like, which one are you getting the most for your money? on and chris I'll, I'll start with you which one do you think is the best value for folks who, who want to get the the biggest bang for their book so i only tested the three the norco optic the ripley and the excuse me the camfield tilt mm -hmm. i just i haven't talked much about the norco um, because <laughs> for where we are for where i ride that's not a, a great bike for this region Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, that's not even in the running. <laughs> um, and I know that the IBIS hovers around 4,000 and the Canfield hovers around five. Mm -hmm. But I am going to choose the Canfield for, for this region. So for where I'm riding or what I like to ride um, and just overall value, I think it's 
awesome that you can beef up the fork to 150 if you want to, that the rear shock can be switched between 125 and 138. Mm -hmm. Although I've, I've mentioned in, in our review that I probably would never put it down to 125, but there's a, <laughs> there's a lot of adjustments that can be made to that bike as well. Mm, so that with the Cane Creek suspension, there's tons of adjustment in the rear. Um, so I think that's the best overall bike if you want to have just one bike. And mm -hmm. I really honestly like around 140. I think 140 for anywhere that's chunky in the front is capable enough for everything. And, th and this bike was just such a, an exceptional climber. And that's what we do a lot here. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, it's it's the Canfield. Okay, cool. Yeah, that's that's a good point too, that, you know, considering upgradability and just adjustability too, because if you can keep a bike an extra year or two longer um, than say another bike you're comparing it to, you're going to, you're going to get your money's worth on that for sure. So that's, that's a really good point. Matt, you tested the same bikes as Chris plus a couple others. So you agree, is the Canfield going to be the best value of the ones you tried or, or do you think there's a different one? I think it was really good. Um, because yeah, I mean, obviously it's a thousand more than the Ibis and the Privateer. Mm -hmm. With that thousand, you get King Creek suspension, which is really sweet, and a SRAM GX drivetrain, um, and decent aluminum wheels too. Um, with spank hubs, so you get really good engagement. The Canfield wheels felt, or rims felt really good too. Mm -hmm. I think like the only, <clears throat> and they weren't bad at all. Um, maybe the only i wouldn't even call it a weak point the only thing that could be upgraded on that to be a little bit better would be the trp slate brakes mm -hmm. um they could be a little bit more powerful for the bike but i don't yeah they weren't like a really limiting factor or anything mm -hmm. um i would say yeah out of the five that i had the probably the best value would be the privateer 141. Mm -hmm. Cause it's 4,000 and you get, we get a Fox 36 with a grip two damper. Um, it's not Kashima, but who cares? Um, <laughs> <laughs> you get hunt, hunt wheels, uh, great engagement, strong wheels, Magura four piston brakes, um, a one up dropper post. So like no like skimpy or budget, uh, products on the bike at all. Like it, Shimano SLX, but I, like, I wouldn't even call that like a skimpier budget product. Uh, yeah. It, yeah. It's know, still 12 grades. speed, right? Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's quick, it's reliable. It's not XT fast or snappy, but, but yeah, there's no hangups on it at all. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think just because of the, the suspension, the brakes, uh, the wheels you get with it, I think the 141 would probably be the best value. Like, I think you get the most for your money with that bike. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard a lot of good things about the hunt wheels and actually I didn't realize that they share the same parent company with privateer. So it seems like they're going for the same kind of idea of like, you know, good products at a, at a reasonable price, um, that are going to be pretty durable and stand up to some pretty hard riding. Yeah, definitely. They, they fit in pretty well with that bike. Yeah.
So Jero, what about you? Which one do you think offers the best value? The Starling Murmur actually was, that's a hard one to price because they only sell it as, as a frame, right? And the frame is like 2,500-ish, so. Yeah. yeah, yeah, so it depends on what you want to put on it. I mean, mm -hmm. <clears throat> I guess I would say the Vitus is probably the best deal in terms of, I can't remember exactly what the price is, but that mm -hmm. bike is really affordable and the build really doesn't need to be upgraded. Like there's stuff that you could swap out. The dropper could be mm -hmm. longer depending on your leg length, some different things like that. But the things that could be upgraded fit the intentions of the bike. So they also don't need to be, um, the geometry is good. Like, yeah, it's just, especially for an entry level bike or, you know, just for somebody who doesn't have a ton of money, like I think that bike is the way to go. It's got really good yeah. brakes. I think they're SLX. Um, didn't have any problems with them. Actually, didn't have any problems with anything on that bike. Like it just worked super well. The the suspension was appropriate. <laughs> yeah. I think you know the only thing I might change early on would be tires, but that's always going to be true depending on where you live. You know. The bike comes with EXO mm -hmm. plus tires and you ride in rocks a lot. You're just going to throw them away after the first couple of rides or give them to friends who ride cross country. So, unless you're super light. I mean, <laughs> people who right. love EXO yeah. plus casings because they don't slam into rocks all the time. So it just depends on how you ride and where you are. But yeah, other than that, I mean, there just wasn't really much to upgrade. Right. Like super affordable build. So yeah, it's a sweet bike for sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's cool to see on that bike, especially a lot of bikes in that like lower price range. It seems like they're always, you know, a season or four behind like current geo and this frame, it looks like it has, you know, the modern geo that people are looking for. And then, then it's just a matter of, like you said, upgrading the parts kind of as they wear out, or if they're not quite up to like what you want to ride, then obviously you can swap those out, but you don't have to, and you can get a pretty sweet bike for 3,300 bucks, uh, which is, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. For sure. A lot of bikes too, in that category are like, there'll be small issues. Like it's hard to get the rear wheel in or this pivot goes loose all the time or like it feels like the rear wheels loose but it's just weird linkage alignment issues like i don't know it just seems like bikes that are produced on that level on that scale there's often little things that if you ride a lot of nice bikes you're like okay i see why this bike costs this much but with that one with the vitus it's really it seems like a really nice bike like i just have any issues with it wow yeah that's that's great to hear so now I want to ask everybody about which trail bikes you want to test next. Um, again, obviously we were limited in the ones we could get. Maybe there were some we wanted to test that we didn't get to test. And so maybe that's an answer, but Matt, are there other trail bikes that you're looking at that look interesting or they might compare well to the ones that, that you're able to test this time around? Yeah, I would say the new, element by rocky mountain which just came out like an hour ago um, <laughs> yeah. looks really really good uh and an interesting progression for that bike um mm. you know as being like a 100 mil 
XC race led for so long and now it's kind of going into the down country or whatever you want to call it route. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely bigger and more aggressive than it's ever been. And um, now they don't really have a, a slot for a dedicated XC race rig anymore, but I don't think they, I don't think it's a huge priority for them mm-hmm. anymore either. So <clears throat> that bike looks really fun though. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you've ridden the previous version of the element, right? I have not. No. Oh, okay. Yeah. Interesting. And yeah, I noticed too, you use the word down country, which I think that's, that's not a word you normally like to use or, or is that category? Okay. <laughs> like, cause just, we didn't use it at most, all. Uh, yeah. It's just the most well-known moniker for what that is at this current time right yeah yeah i have to agree that i mean we need a word so i'm not saying we don't need a word but yeah it is a weird one because it's like a cross-country bike for downhill like yeah we're kind of trying to span a little bit too much we're reaching too much uh there but yeah that that definitely looks like a cool bike to test and one that i think yeah we were close to getting one but yeah it didn't quite work out with the timing and it's kind of been what a lot of the um, lower <clears throat> lower travel trail bikes that we got in have sort of fit into, like the mm-hmm. Ibis Ripley, the Pivot Trail 149. The Norco Optic is almost like a big down country bike. Um, mm-hmm. <clears throat> but yeah, it's like any, any more, like the really short travel bikes are not XC bikes necessarily. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Well, Chris, um, again, like Jero, you, you tend to ride more longer travel bikes. So are you done with trail bikes or are there other ones that you're like, oh, I'd, I'd actually like to try out some other ones? Um, yeah, I actually just have to go to Matt's house and steal his bike out of his garage. <laughs> just see, yeah, see what he's got. <laughs> um, so I actually would love to test his bike, the Revel Rascal, mm. um, just because I really like that suspension platform from Camfield on there. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt, you know, the technical name for that. And then CBF, yeah. CBF, yeah. Um, <laughs> I always forget the acronym. So I, that one I would love to. And then I was going to say the Rocky mountain instinct, um, because I didn't know that the element came out an hour ago, but <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've ridden a few Ooh. Rocky mountains in the past and I really liked how they ride, especially in that mid travel range. So, mm-hmm. um, I would actually be interested to to start testing shorter travel bikes in general. So something around 130, 140, just because 160 sometimes is a bit much, you know? Yeah. Yep. For sure. Cool. What about you, Jero? You, you done with the trail bikes or, or are there other cool ones that we didn't get this time? Do you hope we can get to next time? There's definitely a few others I'd like to check out. Um, the Forbidden Druid, I think it's one. 30 or mm. 135 rear travel that bike i mean people have been racing the ews on it for the last couple of years it's been like the shortest shortest travel enduro bike that i know of anyway um yeah it's got a high pivot and mm-hmm. either pulley in all the other words that people want to put on bikes right now so um but it was around <laughs> kind of before that was going to be so I, I really love to check it out and just see how that bike rides um I would imagine they're going to have a new version of it sometime in the not so distant future since they came out with their longer travel bike a little bit ago. So 
We'll see. Or maybe they're focusing on a downhill bike. But mm-hmm. anyway, I'd love to check that thing out. Uh, the Transition Spur. It's another bike with flex stays yeah. and I think it's 120 millimeters of travel. Um, it's the lightest bike that they've made so far. So it'd be cool to check out like a, mm-hmm. a light XC light trail down country fill in the blank bike from a, <laughs> from a gravity company. seems, seems pretty sweet. Right. And then just more hardtails. I think it'd be really fun to do a similar roundup with hardtails because because of a lot of things, but material and geometry can really make such a big difference with hardtails. Um, you know, that mm-hmm. there's, there's less fudge room with rear suspension, so or than there is with rear suspension. So I think that could be a lot of fun if we were able to get together and just check out like big pile of hardtails be sweet yeah yeah for sure yeah and that's you know by the way that's kind of what i've been testing this summer just as we get get our hands on bikes but none of the hardtails i tested really felt like they fit with these trail bikes um you know there are certainly hardcore hardtails but um yeah i would love to do that as well try out a bunch of hard hardtails um and and yeah there's just such a variety of them as well so that could that could be a really cool one i'm jealous you know just looking at the list of bikes that you guys tested this summer you know the ibis is definitely on my list the ripley um i rode the carbon version of it a couple years ago and that was that was one of my favorite trail bikes that i've ridden in a while um, and so, yeah, it would be great to see how the aluminum version compares to that. And then, yeah, the privateer looks cool. The Starling Murmur, man, I would love to try like a steel full suspension trail bike like that. I think that would be a lot of fun. Um, so, yeah, so many bikes, so little time. But hopefully, <laughs> hopefully things will improve in terms of the industry supply and stuff. And, you know, hopefully, too, with this crop of test bikes if if people are getting excited about these bikes we're talking about and saying oh yeah i want to want to buy one of those hopefully they'll be able to find them soonish <laughs> um <laughs> that this wasn't all in vain but um i want to ask one final question of everyone um and just see what advice do you have for riders who are looking at buying a trail bike in the next year or two, assuming they can get one, or maybe that's your advice is just buy whatever you can get because they're going to be impossible to find. But Chris, what do you think? What, what advice would you give folks looking to buy a, a new trail bike? Actually, that, that was definitely my advice. Buy one now, <laughs> buy the exact right. one you want now. So you yeah. get it by 2022. Yeah. Uh, you know, at some point, um, <laughs> But in addition to that, I would say, you know, we've, we've all kind of talked about these bikes perform best on the terrain that we have, um, mm-hmm. or they, we seem to like certain ones that perform well on that type of terrain. So to anyone looking yeah. to buy a, a trail bike, just as a general rule of thumb, think about where you ride the most often and what would be the most useful mm-hmm. on those trails and the most fun, because sometimes, you know, it's awesome to have 160 in the front, but if you never ride anything that necessarily necessitates that it's actually not as fun as maybe a you know a bike that has less travel so i mean my my number one advice is buy it now 
but you, you know you can build up the bikes now you just won't get it for a year and a half but at least you'll have what exactly what you want um and you know it's coming but the longer you wait like it just keeps getting pushed out and out and out so right. it's really difficult yeah yeah and that's yeah that's an awesome point to make is that you know we we can tell you like what bikes we like the best and the ones we we think were our favorites but that's just us right like you gotta buy the bike that makes sense for the way you ride and the trails you ride and that kind of thing and i think maybe sometimes people lose sight of that and say whoa well single track said this one's the best so that's the one i need but you know everybody's different and you know, we're always happy to answer those kind of questions and to ask questions, right? Like people ask us all the time, which trail bike should I get? And the response is always a list of questions from us <laughs> saying like, where right. do you ride? What, how, how do you ride? Like, you know, how tall are you? All those questions play into it. And so, yeah, if you need help with that, for sure, post on the single tracks forums and, you know, some of us can weigh in and we also have a number of uh, folks in the community who are always enjoy answering those types of questions. Um, but Matt, what about you? What's your advice for riders looking to buy a new trail bike? My advice would be to look beyond uh, certain brand names. Hmm. Um, and so many times, you know, looking through, say, Reddit or just other forums, <laughs> they're like, should I buy the Yeti or the Santa Cruz? And it's like, why are you limiting yourself to those two <laughs> options? And right. I swear it always comes down to like those two brands. Um, but yeah, if you look at, you know, what we thought of the Canfield or the Privateer mm -hmm. or the Starling, like these really lesser known um, companies that obviously don't have the money to kind of like throw their image around as heavily as other brands. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah. It, every engineer and and the group of people like behind those smaller brands are just as invested in mountain biking as any other brand mm -hmm. um and can make really really great bikes too <clears throat> so um yeah I, I think just kind of look beyond like your own um preconceived notions of of a lot of these bigger brands and and consider some of the smaller ones out there also you might find better availability with some of these brands too. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And yeah, I mean, obviously we didn't have Santa Cruz or Yeti in our test and I don't know the exact story. I'm sure we reached we out tried. to them and you know, it, it didn't happen, but yes, we tried. But the point is that these other brands, a lot of times they are able to be more responsive and, and able to accommodate, you know, what, you're looking to do. And like Matt said, they may even have bikes because nobody's thinking about them. And so, yeah, that's, that's a really good point. What about you, Drew? What are you going to tell people who are asking you about buying a new trail bike in the next year or two? Wait, <laughs> I really think <laughs> if you don't yeah. need a bike right now. There's a good chance I guess, you know, I'm just, this is advice I would give to a friend or advice that I would, if, you know, cause I guess mm -hmm. I've thought through this myself cause I don't really have my own bike at the moment. So I'm like, what should I do? And, um, yeah, I just think it's for me personally, not the time to buy a bike. Like I'd rather just wait until 
there's a selection mm. in stock and I can really like go check those bikes out and get an idea of what I want. Maybe even test ride them. Companies have mm-hmm. test days again. Pandemic's a little less nutty. Like, um, yeah, just having the, the opportunity to have more choice and what's in stock and get the color and the build you want and all that stuff. Like, I don't know, I guess I just want to make sure to get the bike that I actually want. And so that's probably not going to be in stock mm-hmm. right now. If I didn't, if I or my friend I'm giving advice to didn't have to have that bike right now, I would say just wait, like chill out for another year and hopefully things will catch up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Ride the bike you got. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, it. that's always the advice um, that I like to give people is like you said, test as many bikes as you can demo them. You know, it's, it's not enough to just read the reviews. We want you to read the reviews and watch the videos uh, that we produce, but you know, at the end of the day, like you need to get your butt on a saddle and, and try the, the bikes that you're considering. Um, and demo days offer a great opportunity to do that. Um, you know, like you said, they're kind of limited right now, but you know, see what your bike shop has, borrow a friend's bike and test it out and, and see how it feels because, you know, there really is no substitute for that. And it's a big purchase for all of us, you know, to buy a new bike. Um, it's a lot of money and we don't want to make the wrong choice. And so getting as much information as you can, uh, it's smart move. And the other thing I want to mention too, is, you know, um, we test a lot of bikes and, you know, we're not, I'm not the greatest rider, um, out there. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are much more skilled at riding mountain bikes than me. Um, you're probably not more skilled than Jero or Chris or Matt, but, uh, uh, there's a good chance you might be, yeah, there's a good possibly, chance. <laughs> possibly. but yeah. the point is that, you know, what we hope to bring to this is that we've ridden a lot of different bikes. Um, and you know, that's really all you need to do is ride a bunch of different bikes and then you, you will know, um, sort of more about these bikes. You know, it's, again, it's not about what somebody tells you. It's about what you've been able to experience. And so, um, yeah, this whole thing, this has been really awesome, um, doing this roundup of trail bikes and, and being able to test these back to back and, and hopefully, yeah, hopefully all of you had a good time doing it and hopefully next year, um, yeah, we'll all be able to get together and do it in person. Yeah. (laughs) For sure. Well, thanks, uh, to everyone for taking the time to test these bikes and to write up your awesome reviews and take photos and make videos and all of that. Um, for those who are listening and are just now hearing about this for the first time, uh, you can find out more about all of these bikes at singletracks.com slash MTM. And also check out our YouTube channel for the full reviews, including videos and photos of each of these bikes. And stay tuned because we're going to be testing a lot more bikes in the coming months and years. Um, And we'd love to hear from you as well. Let us know which bikes you'd like us to test next, and we'll do our best to try to get those in. That's all we've got this week. We'll talk to you again next week. Thank you.